we've got a visa to go to Mexico. Thinking that if we get to Mexico, it's only the borders between United States and Mexico, we could smuggle ourselves to the United States. I got married, I bought a house, I worked for CBS television, I worked for six and a half years. And all of those were done while I am illegal. <laughs> we never had drugs in Iraq when I was there. So when I came here, you know, and they, I see this cocaine, you know, at the first time I saw it, I thought it was starch. <laughs> If I had the power to run this country, I will make it a mandatory for every American to go and live one year in one of the third world countries. So he will appreciate what he has here. Yo, welcome back to the Heating Up Podcast, the hottest podcast in the game. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode. Make sure to hit that like button, subscribe button, follow, rate, all that good stuff. But again, thank you for tuning in to another episode. Today, we have a very special episode because one, my co-host is not here again, and two, it is not just a regular guest today because I got the man who has helped me to become the person I am today. He is the man who I credit most of my success in life to, the man who has shown me nothing but support, love, generosity, care, and the list goes on. He's my role model, my provider, my protector, and my best friend. That man is my father, Eddie Bello. Welcome to the podcast, Pops. Thank you. Welcome Thank you. to the podcast. Thank you, son. So, first of all, it's a little funny because probably four weeks ago, you didn't even know what the podcast was at first. And you knew I was doing it for a couple months. This, you know, now you finally found out about it and stuff like that. So, I figured you just turned 73. It was just your birthday. And I was trying to think of a gift for you, and I, I, I was like, you, you, there's nothing I can buy you that you don't already have. <laughs> so I thought it would be nice to have you on the podcast because you've lived an incredible life. I know that, Vina knows that, mom knows that, but nobody else knows that. And I feel like the story you have needs to be shared. And not only that, but again, you turned 73. We don't know how much longer you have, and I feel like this piece of work is going to be there forever, and I, I think that is something that we could cherish forever. So, thank you for coming on, Bob. You're welcome. You're welcome, son. Um, first of all, how do you feel? You just turned 73? Well, just like every year that passes, you know, and we got used to it, you know. Just, so, every year that passes, we are, I'm getting closer to the grave, you know. Yeah. So... Nothing surprised me anymore. No, no, no. Do you feel, I mean, the last 10 years, like you were 63 10 years ago, do you feel much different? Oh, a lot, a lot, especially health-wise. Yeah, catching ten, up. 10 years ago, when I was 63, I was in better shape. I was uh, a lot stronger than what I am nowadays. Yeah. And don't forget, you know, that the... The more you go into aging, the more diseases and Catch especially up. especially the the chronic diseases that you it will hit you. Yeah. But you have to live with it, you know, and to be strong and to challenge on a daily basis. Yeah. To live normal life as much as you can. And with you, your mom and when your uh, sister was with us was with us. That helped. Yeah. That helped me to keep going and try to be as strong as I can. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, Bob. And we see, you know, all the struggle you're going through. I mean, age is catching up to you a little bit. And that's why I feel like it's, it's a perfect time to do it now because we never know what will happen next year. No, nothing guaranteed. I agree with you 100%. So, again, I love and appreciate that you're coming on. Um, out of curiosity, do you have an age you want to live to? I personally, I don't want to live long where I cannot take care of my needs by myself. Mm. I don't want to go through that. I don't want the people that I love mm -hmm. to suffer with me. I, I just want to live enough as long as I can handle myself by myself. Mm -hmm. And definitely, I don't want to be 100 years old, <laughs> and I don't want to be 90 years old. My main dream and wish is to see you, your sister, 
married, <laughs> having your kids. My goal at this age is to see my grandkids. Yeah. I'm dying to, to have one grandkid. I know. You keep bringing it up. Remember, Pop, I'm 21. <laughs> and I love... <laughs> I, I, I mean, I wish before I die to see my grandkids. I told you I'll give you one tomorrow. I told oh, you I'd God. give... <laughs> I mean, this will be the best gift in my life. <laughs> well, anyway, you know... I To be honest with you, I envy my brother, my cousins. All of them, they have grandkids. Mm-hmm. Except me. Yeah. And again, I mean, and that's something I want to talk to you about uh, with family and dealing with how you had kids so late. Again, I'm 21, you're 73, you're my father. Obviously, you know, it yeah. comes across a little strange because, well, you could be my grandpa in yeah, normal yeah, terms. Yeah, you're right. But, but don't forget, you know, you are a fruit of my second marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You and your sister. When I married your mom, I was... Uh, 33 years old mm -hmm. and it took your mom two years to get to the United States and she arrived in 1996 and it took her one year to get pregnant mm -hmm. and she was not young she was only she was at that time 33 years old yeah so that's why of course yeah it's not like you wanted to have them us so late but i am curious since we're talking about family right now the age difference between me and vina and you you know yeah. we're talking 50 40 some years no not that much between you and me 50 between you and yeah yeah i mean a less yeah a little less but yeah. so we're talking generational gaps big generation i mean you're baby boomers we're gen z you're right we're talking skipping many generations you're right i mean what what do you think how how difficult was it for you to navigate raising me and Vina in a completely different generation compared to how you lived? I mean, we're not talking like it was one or two off. We're talking many generations. What was probably the biggest struggle you dealt with? Actually, there was no struggle because that's a duty that they had to do. First. Second, I spent a lot of years in the United States. So I was adapted to the the culture of the United States. If I had come from Iraq and like I spent one year or two years in the United States and I had you and I had to raise you the way that we were raised in Iraq, that was a big problem. Yeah. It was, it was, I would have been faced with the clash of culture. Mm -hmm. But thank God I was here, you know, since 1977. Yeah. So it has been 57 years since I left Iraq. And on the topic of it, you lived in Iraq, what? How, how old were you when you left? 26. I left Iraq when I was 26 years 26. old. 26. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood because obviously completely different childhood to way, you know, me and Vino were raised in a completely different culture setting. What was it like for you as kids in that time? No, son. I mean, on our... <laughs> People ask, you know, especially the teachers at school, how did you spend your summer break? Where did you go? Where did you travel? These things were not in our <laughs> agenda at all because we, we grew up in a poor family, mm. almost to the level of poverty. And we just had to, to live through it and even when we were young, I mean, I remember when I graduated from the sixth grade to the seventh grade, and I was 12 years old, 12, between 12 and 13 years old, I was sent to the second largest city in Iraq, which is called Nineveh or Mosul, to work in a construction with my, my uncle, the youngest uncle that he was a contractor. Mm -hmm. So at that age, I spent all my summer break working in construction <laughs> with the heat of Iraq that sometimes the temperature goes between 45 to 50 centigrade. Celsius. Celsius, Celsius, Celsius I mean. Yeah. And we're talking here like about 125 to 130 degrees mm -hmm. Fahrenheit. Yeah. And, and that took over every year because... Mm -hmm. 
By doing that, I was helping my father. My father was, first of all, he was crippled from his young age, from since he was 12, two years old. Mm -hmm. And he suffered a lot. He worked hard to provide us with decent life. And we were, my father married my mother, and she was a widow with four kids. Mm. So four kids there. And we were five out of him, so we're talking nine. Mm -hmm. Plus him and my mother, that's 11. Yeah. 11 people, and the only supporter to these people was one person, which was my crippled father. Mm -hmm. So life was not easy at all. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the things that nowadays, you know, people talk, and the kids, you know, uh, they have nowadays, no. So, but what do you think? But the you idea... know what? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? With that struggle in growing up, that made us stronger. Yeah. On facing the obstacles of life and past them and falling and standing up again. And so it made us stronger. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like you see it now. I mean, culturally now, it just seems like people give up very easily. And, you know, your generation and other older generations look at this and they're like, nobody works hard anymore. Nobody hustles anymore. I mean, I, I remember all the stories you've told me about all the jobs you've done and everything you've went through and being broke and having some money, then being broke again and continuously just doing something, working, working, working. What do you think? Why, why do you think that's such a lost thing in America nowadays? Why do you think people have lost the ability to, to because, like hustle? Because, because I have always said it. The most spoiled people in the world are the American people. They are spoiled by their government, by their local government, and by their parents. I just don't see... Even even they made your schools easy compared to our school on the old days. Yeah. So definitely, and don't forget the time has changed. Mm -hmm. Technology has changed. Technology provided you with easier living, easier life. Of course, of course. When, when we didn't have that technology. Yeah. I mean... You hardly could see people in Iraq. I'm talking back in the 60s and 50s, you know. You hardly could see people have a telephone in their home. Yeah. And or, so, I mean, or owning a car. Yeah, so completely different, of Definitely. course. Definitely. What you, I, I know you voiced it to me and Veena a lot. You, you were not fond of Iraq. You, you never even showed excitement to go back. You really didn't care for the country. You know, you were born there, lived there 26 years, but didn't really seem like you wanted to ever go back or the love for the country was never there. What was your biggest problem? No, no, not the love of the country. There's a big difference between love of the country and love the culture of the country. Mm. The culture of that country. I mean, how could I describe it to you? We were like kids, you know, we were just choked. We couldn't... We couldn't answer even when we were abused. <laughs> like my father would beat me, my mother would beat me, my brother would beat me. We couldn't answer back. Mm -hmm. And they considered that a good morals to teach your kids. But a reality, we were frustrated. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't change things because we didn't have the capability plus we were under the support of our parents. We didn't have no other choice. Yeah. We couldn't go nowhere. They didn't even give us the freedom. I'm talking about Baghdad, the capital where I grew. Yeah. Life in the village is different. Like where your uncle Sammy lived. Oh, they were a lot. They had freedom of going outside and play with friends, you know. We couldn't go out on the streets because... Our 
parents, they were afraid that we will be abused sexually mm-hmm. and because we were minority. Yeah, just a scary... It's mi- when you are minority in a society, large society that the culture, clash of culture is big there, that's why we were just kept inside the house. Yeah. If we want to play, we have to play inside the house. Mm-hmm. So then if you had the choice... I would like to apologize as well. If you hear noise, my mother is cooking in the background. But, um, yeah, I know. Um, if, you, if you had the choice, if you had the choice between growing up in Iraq versus growing up in America, but the change of culture is there. Like if, if you had to give up your culture to live in America, would you do it? That's what I did. I mean, that's exactly what I did. I left Iraq after I was 26 years old, and I I served in the Iraqi army for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Once I was released, I worked one year. As soon as I could at that time, collect like 25 dinars, which was like, Accumulate to seventy-five dollars. <laughs> I left, and again, and I left Iraq to a European country, which is Greece, to Athens, without knowing no one there. I was just sick and tired of Iraq and the culture of Iraq, and so when I went to Greece with seventy-five dollars. Those $75 didn't last me but three days by just taking taxis from here to there because I didn't know where to go. Mm-hmm. But during those three days, I found four jobs. <laughs> and I started working with one was called National Can, which was a manufacturer that makes beer cans. I worked there like for two and a half months. But all what I used to do is work they used to pay us on a weekly, and that pay was to pay the hotel, which was uh, <laughs> the shittiest hotel you could think of, mm-hmm. and food, and it was gone. So after two and a half months, you know, I said, what am I doing? You know, am I, I cannot stay in Greece because I, can, I don't have the, the, the money. visa no, and the oh, visa. Yeah. Plus the money I'm making is hardly enough for me to survive. So I went and looked for a different job. So I started working on a ship. And that ship was a tanker, oil tanker. Mm -hmm. So they gave me a cabin in that ship. And I worked there as a, a mechanic assistant. And the whole crew were Greek. I was the only foreigner among them. <laughs> no one of them speak any language but Greek. Only the captain, Captain Yanni, he used to know a little bit English. And because I, I attended Wayne County Community, I'm sorry, I attended Jesuit Father mm-hmm. School in Iraq when I was in the seventh grade, I had basic on the, on the English. Mm-hmm. So I worked in that ship, and the only communication was between me and the captain. And captain, as a matter of fact, took advantage of me to improve his English <laughs> through me. Yeah, <laughs> I swear to God, no raises, nothing like that. No, no, of course but not. But they started paying me good salary. Okay, yeah. So I worked in that ship, and I and I get to see almost uh, all Greece, the islands. Thessaloniki, the big cities, Chalkida, uh, a lot of uh, uh-huh. Volo. So we get to travel. And every week, we travel six days. They stop one day in Chalkida, which is a city that their families, the crew families, are there. So they used to go to their families on Saturday, and I stay on the ship by myself. Until they come back on Sunday, then we start traveling. And again, okay, so like... So my entertainment on that ship, to, to let you know, mm-hmm. my entertainment on that ship, through those 11 months that I worked, every time that we land, 
First thing I do, I will go to to the capital of Athens, buy magazines, Arabic magazines, newspapers, <laughs> books. I was a reader ever since. I love to read. Mm -hmm. So I stayed in that ship for 11 months. Mm -hmm. I raised a good amount of money. Then um, there was a girl yeah. that I, I knew in <laughs> Iraq. She followed me to Greece. Then her brother came. Then a friend of mine mm -hmm. there. So four of us, we got a visa f to go to Mexico, thinking that if we get to Mexico, it's only the borders between <laughs> United States and Mexico, we could smuggle ourselves to the United States. <laughs> I swear. And the reason I wanted to come to the United States because I had my sister, God bless her soul, uh, Harbia. She was in Chicago. She was in, in, in the United States before me, four years ahead. So I was, that was my plan to come to the United mm -hmm. States. And again, so, you, you know, I'm listening to this. People will listen to this and be like, what a crazy, crazy journey. But this is not an uncommon life for an immigrant. You know, we hear all these stories about these immigrants working their asses off, trying to get to the States, trying to do whatever it takes, hustling, killing themselves to get here. And, you know, you look at our country, America, and everyone is just so, the problems are so minuscule compared to immigrants who are, who are living lives like that, and we don't even realize. And again, you know, I was born in America. I see the culture here. I don't understand the Middle Eastern culture. I get never, it. You've never been through Absolutely. It. And I get it from you guys to understand through your stories. And again, I feel like the story of an, an immigrant, the American dream, was that a real thing for immigrants? The American dream? Was that talked about like, we just got to get to America. This is the place. Listen to this song. It is a dream to everyone around the world to come to America. Even European. Don't think that European don't want to come to America. Believe me. They will all immigrate to America because there is no such a great country like America. No. And we hear this all the time from the people on the outside. Don't you find it funny how the people on the inside are always like, man, America's not... We're not, we're, this isn't a great country because anymore. Because you are spoiled, that's why. And that's what you were talking about in the beginning. So spoiled. that's why, I, I mean, again, I like bringing that point back up because, you know, again, for people like me and other Americans that live here, you know, we'll look at problems and be like, oh, our country's going to hell, this is bad, this is, everything's going down. When you really explore the rest of the world, you realize how minuscule the problems in America really are. On this matter, I always tell my customers in my shop, I have a smoke shop. And I tell my customers, especially when I hear them complaining about little whole pot on the street, you know, or <laughs> ditch or heat. <laughs> I tell them, I swear to God, I tell them, if I had the power to run this country, I will make it a mandatory for every American to go and live one year in one of the third world countries. <laughs> So he will appreciate what he has here. You're right. And you're right. I mean, it, it, you, I guarantee everyone would come back with a completely different appreciation. Definitely. Completely different. So, again, you lived an incredible life. I, I mean, this is just such small stories of what I've heard about you. Oh, but again, but it's, I mean, this podcast would be 17 hours if we <laughs> really I dive know. into all that. But I, I again, I like that, you know, the glimpse of what you've been through. So it really shows. And again, what do you think the stigma is between immigrants now that you've made it to the States, the discrimination toward immigrants? What was your personal experience with anything dealing with discrimination or, you know, you probably didn't have an advantage when you came here, of course. I mean, you... You had to learn everything about this culture. You work your way up with everything. There was no, there was nothing, no handouts for immigrants. I didn't have no one to help me here too. So I just have to work my way through all the difficulties that I was faced with. First of all, I came here as a visitor. Uh, I was granted three months uh, visa. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, you know, what am I going to do after three months? It's either to leave the country or find 
a way where I can stay legal. <laughs> so yeah. I went and applied. I got the vi student visa and I attended Wayne County Community College in Michigan, Detroit mm -hmm. for two years. Then I couldn't continue because I was working all day <laughs> as a butcher helper from seven o'clock in the morning until four o'clock. And uh, I'll come home like crazy, take a quick shower and go to, to college from five o'clock until 10 o'clock every day. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't continue. Yeah. So I gave up school. Then the immigration sent after me. And I knew if I go there, you know, they will deport me. Mm -hmm. So I ran away. I, I went to Chicago for one year. From Chicago, went to Virginia. For, for, Life for, on the run. For, for, for another 10 months. Then from Virginia to Los Angeles for nine years. And I worked in Los Angeles as a painter. Then I got my contractor's license. I got married. I bought a house. I worked for CBS television. I worked for six and a half years. And all of those were done while I am but okay but one thing okay. uh, one thing important that you need to know even though i arrived to united states and i was young 27 years old but i never got myself in trouble at all mm. i didn't i never tried even not even tried uh drugs never joined any gang mm -hmm. and <clears throat> never had any uh legal problems that's why yeah but being realistic do you think you could pull off what you pulled off nowadays with the regulations that they have towards this border protection all these things do you think honestly you could pull off what you pulled off now it's all depends on the person not all the people are the same yeah there are some people that they are really determined, determined mm -hmm. to achieve what they want to achieve. And there are other people that they, they, they don't have that d desire. They don't have that strength or that will. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we cannot generalize it. Yeah. There are some Mexicans that they came to the United States and look at them. They have PhDs, you know, and they are very successful in life. Mm -hmm. But there are other Mexicans that they didn't accomplish nothing. Mm -hmm. They didn't even learn the language because the newspapers are in Spanish, television channels are in Spanish, yeah. uh, forms and the... Blah, yeah, all that stuff. Are all yeah. in Spanish. So, yeah, all it depends on the person. Yeah. So then throughout all of this, if you could start life over now, knowing what you know, what would you do differently? Oh, a lot of things I would do differently. <laughs> a lot. Believe me. Uh, but one thing I learned through this uh, experience of life, which I did really practice it, is, and this is my advice to you and to the youth, it's very possible that through your journey in life to fall down financially. Don't stay down. Stand up, try again, and keep trying, and keep trying, and you will not believe it, how strong that will make you, and you will achieve your goals by insisting. I had filed bankruptcy, and I didn't stop. I closed my shop, barbecue shop in Atlanta, Georgia, after one year, it didn't stop me. I closed my cigar shop in Atlanta, Georgia, it didn't stop me. And I went and worked with the army and uh, in Iraq and Kuwait. I worked two and a half years as a consultant and linguist with the Air Force in Kuwait and four years with the army and, um, and um, what's the name of it? <laughs> yeah, Marine. Mm -hmm. Marine and Army, I worked with them 40 years in Iraq and, and the war zone. Mm -hmm. And that was the greatest opportunity I had to take care of myself and my family financially. 
because they paid us really good money. That's when you were in Iraq for what, eight plus Six eight, and a half years. That's when, okay, that was when me and Vina were born, right? And you were gone all the time. Yeah, you were small, you were, yeah. you were young. Yeah. Yeah, I went uh, on 2005 and came back after we were thrown mm. from Iraq on 2011. Yeah. No, so but that was that was a big change after uh, because during that time the economy the stock market crashed if you remember in 2008 and 9 yeah great recession and uh, real estate went down to, to trash yeah so i took advantage of that we bought a ho two houses paid mm -hmm. off along with our house and that was the start of climbing the ladder yeah. of getting better financially. And, I mean, it's great advice. Like you say, I feel like a lot of people nowadays, if you fail, don't give like, up. That's the thing. Don't give up. I feel like that's a lot harder now. The, the way people see it, it's like if you fail, oh, I'm done. It's, it's, it's done. I failed. But it's not. It's part of it. It's part of life. And exactly. I've seen it firsthand because of you. I've seen the growth and I've heard the stories. And I think that's why me and Vina are the way we are, because of you and mom. I mean, we again, I credit a ton of my success in life because of you guys. We're relentless because of you guys. We always, me and your mom and I, we always were focusing on becoming a role model for you and your sister. Mm -hmm. And thank God, both of you, you never disappointed us. We are very proud of both of you. Thank God I have you. <laughs> I will not trade you for the world. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Pop. Um, I guess getting into it now, as a father, as a father, what was the hardest moment for you dealing with me and Vina? Clash of culture again. Yeah, that's where it comes into play. Just like... See, we grew up in a society that, uh, but of course now our mind has changed. We have to change no matter what. Like for an example, in my, in, in my native country, uh, I mean, homosexuality is not accepted at all. Mm -hmm. I mean... It's well known, yeah. I mean, in those countries, it's not, yeah. At all, they will kill you if, if they find if you come and reveal it. Yeah. Drugs are not. We never had drugs in Iraq when I was there. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's different. So when I came here, you know, and they, I, I, I see this cocaine, you know. At the first time I saw it, I thought it was starch. <laughs> I swear to God, I didn't even know what cocaine is. I didn't even know what marijuana is because we never dealt with it. And still never tried it. Never tried it yeah. at all. Yeah. Well. So the only problem we had with you, then I found out, and I used to tell your mom too, it's not fair to come and force our kids that they are born here, grew up here, to force them to live the way that we lived in Iraq. That's unfair at all. So we have to compromise with them. Mm -hmm. And thank God it worked. Yeah. And that's something I do want to give you guys a credit on. Because, you know, I look at our other family and stuff like that. Not to discredit, of course. But you two are probably the most open-minded I've seen in our family. And I always think back and I'm like, the culture of Middle Easterns and their families you're right. It's very tight knit. And even raising him in America is like completely like the way I am with you guys. Our other cousins and stuff will look at them and be like, wait, why would you tell your parents that? Or why would you do this with that? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm very comfortable with my parents because you guys are way or more open minded. I can't imagine being in a different family, knowing I can't do certain things or tell you certain things. And I think that gave me and Vina the ability to grow up a little more closer to you guys because if I'm not mistaken, Middle Eastern men and their culture are very cold. Like the love they give is not very loving. It's very cold. Be a man. You know, m mental health isn't really a thing. Be strong. It, your feelings don't matter. That's what it seems like in Middle Eastern culture. But you guys were very always, always loving, warm. Tell me about what's going on. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Why do you think you differed so much between 
other family members and other Middle Eastern culture. I'll, other, tell, you, I'll yeah. tell you why. Because I live in America more than any one of them. Mm -hmm. I adapted to the American culture. Easy. Why? Because I, when I left Iraq, I rejected that culture. I didn't, I never agreed with the things that went on in Iraq. So when I came to the United States, I adapted easy mm. because that's what I wanted anyway. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't have it in Iraq. I see. Yeah. And, and again, it shows. I mean, see, there is one important thing. When you live through restriction, culture that has so many restrictions, the longer you stay in that environment, it will come one day that you will believe on it because you cannot change it. Mm -hmm. That's why I left early. I left 26 years old, left. But my other cousins and brothers, all they arrived here, you know, they were like over 50 years old. Mm -hmm. It's hard to change when you're that far exactly. into a culture. Agreed. I mean, I mean, the roots, the roots of that culture are deeper in their mind than me. Yeah, way harder to change a person yeah, that far yeah. in their life, of course. Even when your mom, by the way, when your mom arrived, you know, she, she was not like this. No, I can't but, imagine. But I played a great role with her, you know, making her believe that this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And she agreed, and thank God. Mm -hmm. The changes that your mom made since she came are amazing. Mm -hmm. And again, credit to you guys, because, you know, it is hard to change someone's culture and environment the way they grew up. It is hard to change that. It's not easy. So you see all these westernized, culturized things that make no sense to you, but you were still able to keep an open mind about that, while others is like, nope, I'm not even going to, there's no, exactly. there's no way. And that's a problem, right? That's how so many problems spiral with racism and, you know, homophobia, things like that. So, But you know what, uh, Jacob, sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. What really is making me happy, and I'm not going to name people, mm -hmm. that you, the youth, you, the young people that came to the United States young or were born in the United States like you and your sister, you are forcing your beliefs on your parents if they want or they don't. <laughs> that honestly makes me very happy. Really? And I know for sure, you know, I have examples, but I'm not going to say it. Mm -hmm. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah. I do. And again, but the fact that you guys are accepting the room to change, right? I mean, if you have a kid and they're telling you every the things you knew, which makes sense. You hear from your child who lives here. It's hard to believe, right? Because it's like, what are you talking about? You don't know. You're young. But you guys always kept an open mind. And again, that's what I personally very much appreciated with you guys. Because we were able to tell you, no, you're wrong, guys. You're wrong about some things. And that's really where growth is in people. And so again... But not only that, Jacob, not only you. Don't forget, you know, that I came here when I was 27 years. Uh -huh. And at the same time, I got involved in the society. Yeah. And I have seen, I was living with the community, our community. And so how their kids that are born here are different than what we were. Mm -hmm. You see that? That's, yeah. 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 So, and again, you've done an amazing job as a father, as a husband, and as a role model to us. So, your life is crazy. I'm happy you were able to share a little bit of it because, again, it's, it's a core memory for me and, you know, everyone else because there's a lot you can pick out of your story. And a lot of immigrants could probably relate to certain things. And a lot of the youth and Americanized people can learn a lot from immigrants with stories like that. So, again, I'm happy you're sharing it, and that's why I, I wanted you to come on as well. Oh, I'm honored. Of course. I'm honored to share it. I have a couple things now getting into your life specifically, just specific moments. Okay. okay? First of all, throughout your life, what is your biggest regret? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely regret 
that I didn't continue my studying to get my degree. Really? Yes. I was always hoping that I had my bachelor's degree, at least. Because of what purpose? For job purpose or status? No, 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 no. For uh, reputation. For See, back home in Iraq, getting a degree, if you have a bachelor's degree, society look at you, oh, you are educated, even though you don't have nothing to do with education. <laughs> Once... Like, for an example, there were some of them, or some of our relatives, they say, oh, if you don't have, if you don't have college degree, you are a failure. Ridiculous. That. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, so I regret that I didn't continue my studying. I definitely do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never regret leaving Iraq, definitely. <laughs> never. <laughs> no. No. Okay. All right, what was the hardest moment of your life? Hardest moment of my life is when I arrived to Greece, to Athens, with those little amount of dollars that they had on me. I told you they were $75. The hardest moment was when I spent three days without eating but a bagel. Only one bagel in three days. I was so hungry. I lost about 19 kilos in one month. <laughs> yep. We're talking, you sound like you're a story from the Bible. I swear <laughs> to God. I know, that's insane. I'm telling you. That's, that's probably, yeah. Okay, and then let's keep it cheerful. What was, yeah. what was the best moment of your life? Oh, the best moment of my life was when I married your mom. <laughs> <laughs> She's not forcing you to say this, right? No, She's no, not... no, no. I've been blessed. I've been blessed with your mother. Thank God. We are married 29 years. On December, it will be 30 years. <laughs> I love every minute, every day that we spend it together. Yeah. And with this beautiful fruit that she gave me, which is... <laughs> Savina, your sister, and you, I will not trade this life with her for the world. That's sweet. And I'm, now I'm curious because you have had a very successful relationship with mom, 30 years. Yes. Nowadays, it seems like relationships, you know, gone in like, it doesn't seem like commitment is, is really a big thing anymore in, you know, America specifically. It, it depends. It depends. What do you want from marriage? Explain. Okay. To me, marriage is commitment for life. Mm -hmm. Even though I failed with my first marriage, and the reason I failed is not because I failed, because my ex was suffering with mental problems, and she didn't want to cure herself when there was a solution to cure herself. Mm -hmm. To the point I couldn't take it anymore after eight years of marriage, I decided to divorce. But all it depends. If you play, if you play faithful with your wife through your marriage, if you will be open with your wife, if you will lend a hand with your wife on running the house, the chores, everything, I don't see why will a marriage will not last for life. When there's no cheating. Mm, that's a big problem nowadays. The biggest, the biggest problem in marriage for men and women is when they find out that their partner is cheating on them. Mm -hmm. And when I mean cheating, I mean cheating. Yeah, of course. Not money-wise. I'm talking about... Mm. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So it depends, Habibi. Yeah. Plus, there is another thing that's very important. Just let's take you as for an example. You will always, when you get married, you will always look, even when you are faced with problems with your wife, you are not going to just, you know, say, let's divorce. Because <laughs> you will always think, my dad and my mom, they lived together for 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. it's not, and it's not easy. Why of can't I not. do it? Yeah. So it would be a challenge for you too. Yeah, absolutely. I was just curious because, again, you know, I, me and 
we see the struggles, the inside and out of a relationship. 30 years is not easy. It's not like it's always perfect. And it never is. No, we don't want it to be perfect. Yeah. Problems on the marriage I'm talking about. These are the spices of the marriage. (laughs) That's what I call them. Spices that makes the marriage more delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're right. But... You know, it is good because I feel like, you know, with broken households, it does affect the child for sure. It's, it's of course, a big thing. So, you know, I mean, you guys have done a great job modeling what a good relationship should look like. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot to learn for people my age nowadays because it does seem like cheating is a big problem. You know, commitment issues is a big problem. It's a very hookup culture nowadays compared to... Yeah, but there's one thing important, very important. You have always to realize that temptation is always there Mm. you're gonna Mm. go through temptation but that's where you show your strength how to face the temptation and pass it Mm. not to fall into it yeah great advice yeah okay and then what was the scariest moment of your life you know another thing i would like to add to that part sure i don't believe on cheating at all. The reason why? Because I look at it this way. If I am willing to cheat my wife, then she has the right to cheat me. Then if my wife would cheat me, how am I going to feel? Probably terrible. But do you have the right I, to I, feel? I dislike it. Yeah. So why should I do that to her? Yeah. From playing it from fair side of, of mm-hmm. the issue. You know, to be fair. Yeah. No, I will not cheat her because she's not cheating me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes back. There was, a, there was a rule we learned in kindergarten. It sticks with me. I don't know why. But it's the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Exactly. And that applies in all facets of life. So, exactly. for sure. Um, but yeah, the question. What was your scariest? What was the scariest moment of your life? Scariest. Mm-hmm. Where you genuinely had fear like, oh, this is bad, or my life could be over. Honestly, I cannot think of any scary thing the way that you're describing it, mm-hmm. you know. No. With all that my, you've my <laughs> problem. My problem is I'm in nature, I'm adventurer type of a person. That is a good point, yeah. I, I, I don't scare easy. I was going to say smuggling into the country. I'm not trying to brag, but what I'm yeah. saying, I don't recall anything in, in life that made me scare. I mean, scare, scare. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, again, yeah. It's just funny if to I hear was, though, if right? If I was that type of a person, I would not have gone to Iraq 40 years in a war zone that death was in any second you could die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I'll tell you this much. I mean, smuggling into the country by itself seems like a terrifying thing. But I guess for, again, you and other immigrants, it's just like we have no, no other no, choice. No, no, when we came to the United States, we came with the... Legal visa. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. At that time, yeah. No, no. We came as a visitors. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And then, who is the most influential person in your life? You know, you talk about being a role model. I know. But was there a person that was there for you? that you looked up to, you want it to be. And there's probably a lot, or there's probably not a lot. I honestly don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know any of, even among my family that stood by me after I left Iraq at all. I mean... You are left alone? I mean... I honestly don't know. Yeah. Don't know of any. The only one I could think of, you know, that has influence on me was my father. Because he was a cripple, but he worked so hard. Mm -hmm. And 
and he never bent down to no one. He never lent, I mean, borrowed from other people, even though he was really doing a hard job working on a hospital. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's the only one I can think of yeah. to have influence on me. Okay. And then to end it off, to end it off, to me, to Vina, to anybody out there, what is your biggest life lesson that you would tell someone else? That's a good question. <laughs> life lesson, huh? Mm-hmm. If there's one big lesson that stuck with you that you would pass on, or that you kept close to you, what would that lesson be? Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, the lesson, the lesson that I could think of, uh, that I will tell you as a son, don't be naive dealing with the family, with the relatives. And at the same time, always look after your interest and the interest of your mother and your sister before before the interest of any other person. That's the only thing I could think of because, because no matter how much you sacrifice for the others, there will be time they will not appreciate what you did. They will always tell you. What did you do to us? Yeah. Well. But that doesn't mean hate. Of no. course not. Of course not. No. no, I think that's great advice. Don't, I know. Don't give more than you can think. You can give. Yeah. Don't. Don't be like me. I used to borrow money and help. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Well, good advice. Of course, I know it's wow. It's kind of ending off on a little cold point. But that was all I had. So, uh, again, I appreciate you coming on, Pop. I mean, your stories are infinite, and I'm happy. I'm happy we could document this because, again, this is going to go public. This is going to, and if it does great on YouTube and it does great numbers, great. And if it doesn't, great because this was honestly for me and for Vina to keep forever. So, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing and thank you for everything you've done for us. I love you more than you'll ever know. And happy 73rd birthday. Thank you, Habibi. I mean, of course, I'm honored to be with you. And this is the best gift I could get. Thank you, Habibi. Of course. I love you, Pop. I love you, Hazizi. Love you. Thank you. Well. That'll do it. So let's go ahead and end it off. Again, we hope you guys enjoyed. A lot of life lessons. Give it up for my father. We love him. And uh, Marn will be back next week. We'll see if he decides to reapply for the position. Uh, But anyway, we hope you guys enjoyed. Leave a like, comment, subscribe, and share it around with your friends, family. Uh, But yeah, we will see you guys next week. The Heating Up Podcast is out.